Welcome to HR and Cocktails, brought to you by Prescott HR, home of Unintimidated HR, the show for business owners and executives to learn more about all aspects of human resources with your host, Kimberly Prescott. Thank you, everyone, for joining this episode of HR and Cocktails. I am joined today by my friend and colleague, Mike Camerata. Welcome, Mike. Thank you, Kimberly. It's a pleasure to be here. Of course. So Mike sent me um, this introduction paragraph um, because apparently he thought I was going to introduce him, but he's going to introduce himself. (laughs) (laughs) So Mike, can you please let our um, audience know what you do at Tide Creek Financial? Absolutely. Um, So I am a certified financial planner and I am also one of three partners at Tide Creek Financial Group. We're located in Elkridge, Maryland, serve clients nationwide. Um, our firm really provides financial planning services to employers, business owners, and individuals. Uh, I myself have 15 years experience in the industry. Collectively, I think we have over 50 years experience at this point, uh, but we are a what we would consider to be a boutique financial planning firm. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. So today we are going to talk about employee financial wellness. And that is actually how you and I got introduced to each other. Probably, I don't know, maybe about seven or eight years ago. Yeah. Um, you were, um, you know, having conversations with employers about um, employee financial wellness and, you know, having conversations with employees. So I, when I thought about this topic, I was like, I got to go to Mike because <laughs> that is actually how we got introduced several years ago. Um, yep. So just to, you know, start the conversation, what does financial wellness mean? Because like we, we talk about employee benefits, health and wellness, mental health. Um, mm-hmm. What does financial wellness mean? And and what does it mean in the workplace? Sure, sure. So the meaning of wellness, just the word wellness, is the state of being in good health, especially when it's an actively pursued goal. So when you put financial in front of it, in, in my opinion, you are actively pursuing to be in better financial health. Simply put, I believe financial wellness is having control over your day-to-day, month-to-month finances. And ultimately, it leads to having financial freedom to make choices to allow someone to enjoy their lifestyle. I really like that definition. I actually hadn't heard the definition of wellness in that way um, as an actively pursued goal, which means that I have not been well for a long time. I have not actively (laughs) pursued it, right? Um, So good to know. Good to know. You have to actively pursue it to be well. I appreciate that. Um, So, you know, now that we kind of have a baseline Mm -hmm. for what that, you know, what financial wellness means, and again, I think that's such a great definition, um, how does, because like we're, you know, our audience of business owners, you know, executives and organizations, why does it matter? What mm-hmm. impact does it have on the business if the employees have, um, you, know, are, you know, are financially well? Yeah. What does that mean for the business? Well, I am happy that you asked that question. 
Um, I had to, once I saw like the data, I was like, I, I have got to communicate these numbers because it's so impactful. So PwC came out with a report in 2017. And in that report, it said 30% of employees, now it doesn't matter what size company, but 30% of employees are distracted at work due to personal financial issues. 46% of that 30% spend three or more hours in a week, a work week, during work hours, dealing with personal financial issues. So if you do the math and you add it up, those employees spend the in totality one work week out of the year on their personal financial issues. Okay. okay. So just imagine as a business owner, having employees that are in that situation and by providing a financial wellness program, helping those employees better understand personal finance topics to where they're not having to spend that, that time during work hours where they're getting paid to do work <laughs> and, they're, and they're not thinking about their personal financial issues. It is the equivalent of one work week, 40 hours. I mean, it's mind blowing. I was going to say that. That's exactly what I was going to say is that it is. That's that's a very a, a whole work week. Like that's a week of PTO. Right. Except they're at the yep. desk getting paid. So, you know, when we think about the fact that that's time that they're actually actively doing other things. Mm -hmm. But what is the impact on productivity? Because, I mean, if you are spending that much time actually attending to those issues, right, then there's a period of time that may not be captured during that, of that time that you're actually thinking about it, not fully engaged in your work. Mm -hmm. You know, when you are stressed, when you are upset about something, um, you are not able to give your best work. Mm -hmm. it, or, or, you know, what are your thoughts around that and, and the amount of time and then productivity, engagement, you know, time that people could be, you know, innovating, right? Right. What, what, what's the impact to that? Well, financial wellness programs, and this isn't just my opinion, like these are proven facts. When it's implemented properly, the employees, A, feel better about themselves. They feel better about coming to work. They can concentrate on the task at hand and they reduce missed work time. Mm -hmm. So all of those elements that a financial wellness program ultimately provides one's employees, it will organically and naturally lead to higher productivity, mm -hmm. which obviously is going to have a positive impact on the bottom line. Yes. And the bottom line is very important. Um, you know, of course, making sure that people are um, not having unnecessary stress um, is important as well. Mm -hmm. So, and, um, and Kimberly, sorry to, to interrupt or interject, but also think about it since the pandemic and how many people are now working from home. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so, I mean, these statistics came out pre-COVID when I would say the majority of workforces were going into the office, if you will, to work. I mean, they were spending some of those employees three hours or more in a work week. Just imagine how much more time they're spending in a remote environment. Absolutely. And then add, you know, inflation, which, you know, uh, the market is saying is starting to level out a little bit. Um, the, you know, the potential recession. Um, so people are thinking um, about all of these things now in a different in a different way. They're thinking about their finances in a different way. Um, there were some numbers that I um, read around the cost of food um, and the increase in the cost of food, food meals at home and then meals out of the home. Um, and that increase um, has been 20, 30% um, mm -hmm. over last year. So, you know, that's a basic need, right? Um, so when people are thinking, I'm bringing home the same amount of money um, and now I have to pay 20% more or 30% more for something, and I don't have more money, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And so when you talked about wellness um, and financial wellness specifically, you also talked about financial freedom, right? Mm -hmm. And not meaning that they're independently wealthy and don't need to come to work because I don't want the business owners to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, financial freedom in that when these peaks and valleys happen in the mm -hmm. economy because they will always happen. It is cyclical. It happens all the time, right? We can't avoid that. Yeah. Um, but when those peaks and valleys happen, the amount of stress that people have is directly related to their ability to plan and understand mm -hmm. how that will impact them financially. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that that's also something for, you know, business owners to also think about. It's like, you know, we're in a time now where people are paying more attention mm -hmm. than they normally do. You know, the average person who's not involved in, you know, wealth management and planning and financial planning the way that you are, um, most of us aren't thinking about that until it's a topic on the news or a topic for whatever reason um, on a daily basis on TV. They're not really thinking about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this or, is a time for them to think now. And I would also say, Typically, people start thinking about this when they are going through a significant life change, or they've had a loved one or a friend who is going through a significant life change. That's usually when the light bulb sort of goes off and it's like, I, I should probably look into this myself. Yes. And I know that our business owners that are listening will be able to identify with this analogy. You know, you're always told, get a line of credit before you need it. <laughs> right. <laughs> when you need it, it's not the time to, to get it because, uh -huh. you know, or try, try to get it. You need to have it before you need it. So with financial planning, same thing, right? Same before thing. you have that major life event to already have those ducks in a row, because the sh it's difficult to make good decisions when you're stressed. It's very Absolutely. hard. Absolutely. <laughs> So, you know, doing it in advance before or allowing people to have things in place before that significant life event happens will be helpful. Mm -hmm. So and Kimberly, to that, mm -hmm. to that, um, I want to I want to provide another set of data points. Uh, Mass Mutual did 
a survey, and this was just for small business owners and their employees. Mm -hmm. um, the same year, 2017, is when this study was, was completed. Business owners believed that only 45% of their employees could absorb a financial shock. Now, financial shock could be a number of different things, but basically it is an unforeseen event mm -hmm. that is going to have a significant impact on their finances. Yeah. And that is because most Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. They are not putting money in savings and investments. So therefore, if an emergency does happen, it's not really a matter of if it's going to happen, it's just a matter of when have you prepared yourself to make sure that you could absorb that. Um, they also, in this same study, found that 60% of business owners have seen employees make, quote unquote, bad decisions when it comes to their retirement savings. Mm -hmm. So, yes, to your point, planning for this before something happens is much better than trying to go through it and plan for it as it's happening. Yeah, absolutely. And those are that's good. Those are good numbers because that is true. Um, you know, a, a lot of employers find that their employees are not able to manage um, a financial um, shop. Yeah. Right. And so that brings us to our next um, my next question for you, which is what are the elements of a financial wellness plan? Because when I think about a financial shock, like being an HR, when people have those, they come to us and they're like, I, I, I need to have, you know, a loan out of my 401k mm -hmm. um, or something like that. Right. And yeah. I'm sure that that's one avenue, but I'm sure that there are probably other avenues that are probably um, more um, proactive. Yes. <laughs> so yes. what are some elements of a financial wellness plan? Sure. So the, the reality is that everyone learns and engages differently. So if an employer is going to implement or improve their financial wellness program, they should be exploring multiple formats so that the employees can learn and plan the way that really best fits them and ultimately, will that, what that will do is it will allow the employer to engage more employees. Mm -hmm. So some examples of elements in a financial wellness program. Number one is either a virtual or classroom setting where someone is providing education to the employees. Uh, this is something that me and my firm has done over the last decade. Um, like you had mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, the reason we met uh, was because when I was still working at MetLife, MetLife developed a financial wellness program called PlanSmart. Mm -hmm. And we were allowed to use that program with any employer. So my thought was, well, who would be the one either making these decisions or would have the ear of the people making these decisions? And it's HR professionals. Yes. So that, that was something that MetLife created. Now, many, many, many other companies have created 
programs and platforms for financial wellness. Um, but we have seen the most impact when we are in, in we are in an in-person setting. Typically, it's on the work site. The employer will do this either like during the lunch hour or maybe like right after the workday, sort of provide some incentives to get the employees to come. Um, that could be free food. That could be, uh, you know, some bonus points to whatever recognition programs the employer has in place. But it's getting people in to sit down and be educated on any number of various financial topics. And then what we do is we make ourselves available after that workshop for the employees to have a 30-minute coaching call. And they can talk about anything that's on their mind. But we have seen the most traction doing that. Obviously, with a more hybrid setting now or all remote setting, that's not as feasible for most employers. So doing something via Zoom, if you have employees in multiple states, you know, picking a time of day that kind of best fits everyone's schedule. Um, but providing that education in whatever format best fits the employer. Another thing that an employer can implement is, and not that they are going to implement it themselves, but make their employees aware of budgeting and debt management programs and applications that they can download right, right onto their phone. Um, budgeting and really knowing where your expenses are going is truly the one thing that we all as individuals, whether you're a business owner or not, your expenses is what you have the most control over. Not that you have complete control over, you just have the most control over. Right. You can't control what the economy is doing, what the stock market's doing, what inflation is doing, what the housing market is doing. Those are things that you just do not have control over. Mm -hmm. What you do have control over is your expenses. And then in turn, the actions you take after that. Um, there are other tools that are out there. And for you know the people who are listening that have a 401k plan established, most likely the record keeper has some sort of retirement planning calculator on their website. So that could be another tool that the employees have access to, but you have to make them aware of that. Um, another calculator is a life and disability insurance um, calculator that are out there that are free. A lot of people have questions like, do I need life insurance? Do I need disability income insurance? Well, if I do, how much do I need? Because everybody's situation, goals and objectives are different. So there are some very sophisticated, if you will, calculators out there that can help someone navigate those topics. So I believe in order to get the most engagement, you can't just do one of these. It has to be a combination of all. And I definitely appreciate that. And, and, and with regard to the education, I did 
I heard you say that employers offer incentives for people to attend, whether it's free food or things mm -hmm. like that. And I think that that's critical. I think it's something that people really need to hear because just saying we're going to have some people in a conference room come in if you want to is not the same as doing everything that you can to get people in there to, to hear it, right? right. Um, because it's not, it doesn't have an impact. If you can offer something and people don't take advantage, not even take advantage of, but if people don't come by and at least hear the message and get the information, it's yep. almost like you didn't offer it at all. Absolutely. And I can tell you, just from doing these workshops over the last decade, the ones that were the most impactful and the ones where you had the more engaged workforce, it really started with the employer. Mm -hmm. You know, like I can't get employees interested in attending a workshop that I'm presenting. That is the role of the employer and whoever is sort of administering this workshop or these programs, they have to get their employees excited about it. So it really takes a collective effort when it comes to the employer, um, whoever they're using on the outside to provide this education, it takes a collective effort to engage your work, the, the workforce. Um, mm -hmm. Not any one person can do that alone. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I, I also agree that with individuals and their money, for them to make decisions and to listen and to give any credence to what they're hearing, it does need to start with people that they trust. So their leadership, their HR department or benefits department or whoever it might be, mm -hmm. they have to believe that they have buy-in and that they believe that that's what's best for them. Not that they're just checking the box and saying, hey, we brought in somebody to talk about financial wellness, check. Mm -hmm. um, but that they really are bought into it and they really do believe it um, and believe that it's something that they um, uh, feel would be beneficial for the organization. How often do you recommend organizations having these conversations or bringing someone in to have these conversations? That is a that is a very good question. It really depends, I believe, on the size of the workforce. So for very large corporations, you could probably do these workshops monthly and they wouldn't become stale. Now, if you are a small business, um, and let's say you have 25 or less employees doing this monthly, it can quickly become stale. Mm -hmm. uh, so it really, it really truly depends on the demographics as well as the size of the workforce. I would say quarterly is a good starting point for someone who currently does not have a financial wellness program, but wants to implement one. Start out by setting it setting it up on a quarterly basis and do different topics that really relate to the majority of your workforce. So with the elements of the plan, you talked about um, education, um, you know, 401k planning, um, calculators, retirement, you know, goal setting. What about um, emergency funds? or those types of programs, what, are, what, what are, where are you with that? So 
when I am implementing a new financial wellness program for an employer, the very first class I teach are basically the financial foundations. Mm -hmm. And it really starts out with A, budgeting, mm -hmm. and two, building an emergency reserve. Mm -hmm. It is something that is commonly overlooked in one's personal financial planning, but it is so important. Um, in terms of what some someone should do or how much they should do, once again, depends on their household expenses. But the CFP board recommends that for a two-income household, you should have three months of your expenses in a savings account. Mm -hmm. For a one-income household, you should have six months. Mm -hmm. And okay. that multiple is not based on all of your expenses, but the ones that are the needs, the ones mm -hmm. in which someone's household would have to survive on. Yes. Um, but yeah, that that is the, according to the CFP board, the, the recommended number in terms of what someone should have in emergency funds. And what about, because there are some programs that offer, you know, emergency savings plans and incentives and programs that employers can leverage. Have you have you leveraged any of those? Have you seen how those work in organizations? I personally have not. Uh, the employers that we've done this type of education for do not have anything um, in terms of emergency funds mm -hmm. or emergency savings. Uh, they do provide a match on their 401k plan. Mm -hmm. um, but now I don't have very much experience with that specific program. But what I teach in that foundational class is that if someone wants to build an emergency fund, I recommend doing it outside of your normal banking accounts so that you can't see it. Mm -hmm. And also set up a systematic contribution to that emergency savings account, much like someone would do to their 401k account. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So where it's automatically coming out of their paycheck or it's automatically being transferred from their checking to the savings account, that way they tend to not see it and tend to not miss it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's also my philosophy on um, opt out for the 401k mm -hmm. um, automatic enrollment, because I feel like one, if you if you always felt it, you don't realize it's gone. Um, absolutely. <laughs> so given all of the things that we've talked about in the, you know, very tangible benefits for both the employee and the organization, I've noticed, and I don't know if you've seen the same thing, that financial wellness does not get the same attention as health and wellness or mental health. If you've seen that, um, why do you think that's the case? Mm -hmm. I have certainly seen that. And I have, I guess it wouldn't be just opinions, but also some feedback mm -hmm. um, from employers. So... I would say the 
one hesitation is that bringing a third party in to provide this education, there is some reservation because they don't, if they're just starting this, if they're just implementing this and they have not built a relationship, like a trusting relationship with these, this person or people providing the education, there may be some reluctance to bringing someone in who may quote unquote sell their employees. Because as we know, that has certainly happened in the past. And they don't want their employees to have a bad experience by bringing someone in. So the next best thing is, well, we can eliminate that just by not bringing anyone in. <laughs> yeah, that solves the problem. Right. That, that solves that problem. But I would also say that the reason it doesn't get attention is because as we both know, HR professionals are wearing many different hats. And to now have the responsibility or adding something onto the HR professional's plate in terms of organizing and implementing a financial wellness program or workshops, it's, it's just another responsibility that, yeah. that they don't have the capacity to do. Um, I would say those are the two biggest reasons why employers are not putting a focus or have not gotten to the financial wellness program. But its importance is, I would say, equal to, if not more, than the benefits they are offering. Mm -hmm. Because, and, and an analogy that you know I could use is like, you could go out to Home Depot and you could buy the best top of the line tools. But you put someone in who does not have any carpentry experience, what are they going to do with these top of the line tools? Mm -hmm. they, they have no idea how these even work, what they should use to cut wood versus what they should use to cut metal. Like, it's like, well, this is great. I got a, a workshop of tools that I don't have any idea how to use. So the financial education piece or wellness piece, it teaches the employees, it educates them on, here are the benefits we are offering. And it puts the employer in a really good light. It's like, your employer is offering all of these great benefits. Mm -hmm. Here is why you should be taking advantage of them. Also, here's how you apply them to your personal situation. So, and maybe I'm biased, but I do believe the education piece is just as important, if not more, than the actual benefits themselves. No, I definitely agree that that is, um, you know, those are definitely factors that um, play into it. And, you know, as I think about it, you know, and I'm sure that there's um, additional information to support it, you know, when we think about the tight labor market that we're in right now and people are leaving for, you know, 
a few thousand dollars. And as an, from an employer perspective, you're like, well, why does that matter? If people are not financially secure and can't see their financial future, $4,000 means a lot more to somebody mm -hmm. who's living check to check than someone who has a solid financial background and can see the long term and can see the forest um, mm -hmm. through the trees, right? Yeah. Um, and so it is actually a very beneficial, it can be a very beneficial retention tool um, because people will not leave for what we, you know, as leaders look at as a few dollars. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, is there anything else that you think that our audience should know about financial wellness programs? Sure. I would say that because Kimberly, you and I are both small business owners. Um, when you are considering a financial wellness program, just know that there are professionals out there that can basically do this for you and it's very turnkey. So in terms of the administrative aspects of implementing a financial wellness program, especially if you are already offering a 401k plan and you're working with a financial advisor to do that, most financial advisors will provide this education in addition to what they are providing on the 401k plan itself. So really just, I would say, is that there are many different financial wellness programs out there. Most, if not all of them, are very good. Um, if you are working with a 401k record keeper, inquire to them about what they offer, what tools they offer at no additional cost. Most of the time, these programs do not cost anything additional to the employer. So you do not have to worry about adding another expense to your, your budget. Um, just make sure you, you like and trust the person or people who are going to provide this education to your workforce. That's a really good point. Thank you so much. And thank you for sharing your expertise with us. But before we say our goodbyes, this is the question everyone's been waiting for. Um, <laughs> when you finish providing great financial wellness, um, feedback, supporting advice to employers, and you are relaxing after a long day of supporting them, what is in your glass? <laughs> um I would say typically, typically, it would be a glass of red wine, preferably um, a Cabernet. But just last evening, um, we went to the food market uh, over in Columbia, and I ordered a cocktail without alcohol. It was called a Lime Basil Bliss, mm. which consisted of lime, obviously, basil, obviously, club soda, and agave nectar. Okay. Now, obviously, you could add a spirit of choice to that. Yes. I am sure it would not deter from the great flavors that were in this drink already, but it mm -hmm. was delicious. It was refreshing. 
Um, you know, we still have hopefully another month or so of summer. Um, I would encourage everyone to try that cocktail at the food market. Yes, awesome. So for those of you that are not in Columbia, Maryland, there's two locations, one in Baltimore, one in Columbia. And just because Mike said it, I got to go and have it, you know, um, I'll be <laughs> no, honest And the, and with the you. food is also The food amazing. is very awesome there. It is. It is. I'll be awesome. I'll be honest with you. I'll probably want a little gin in mine because that feels <laughs> that feels right. Uh, but I'll try it the way you had it. And then I will add my spirit of choice. <laughs> there you go. Well, Mike, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Um, it was great to have you. Oh, uh, Always a pleasure, Kimberly. And thank you all for listening to this episode of HR and Cocktails, and we look forward to talking to you next month. Thank you for joining us this month on HR and Cocktails. Please make sure to visit our website at www.prescotthr.com, where you can subscribe to the show. And while you're at it, if you're interested in learning more about our consulting services, please complete the contact form on the website. And don't forget to tell a friend about Prescott HR, home of unintimidated HR.